Okay, well, good evening and welcome to Skeleton Madawa Baptist Church. Thank you. Yeah, and I um, uh, pray that we might have a blessed time as we look into the Word of God tonight. Um, last time we were on, we weren't here last week you know, due to uh, unforeseen problems. And um, we thank the Lord that we are able to be here tonight. And we're going to be continuing to look at the uh, biblical distinctives of Baptists, or Baptist distinctives. So, uh, last week, um, we read some verses, and I'm going to read them again, um, because uh, this is one of the most amazing little sections of Scripture, where in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17, <coughs> and the Bible says, Continue, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Father, I thank you for the Word of God, and thank you that we are able to look into the Word of God tonight. Please, Lord, uh, help me to present this with uh, clarity, and Lord, you just... Bless as we look into the Word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we looked at um, why people choose a church, and we just to have a quick overview of what we looked at. And some people like the join the church because they like the look of the, look of the church and um, the building on the outside. And, and some like it because of the friendliness of the people. Um, some like it because of all the programs that are offered. Um, First and foremost, the church that you choose should hold to the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And that is um, the inspiration of the authority of the Bible and um, uh, Jesus' virgin birth, uh, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, his substitutionary death, uh, and burial, and bodily resurrection, and literal return. Uh, Bible uh, teaching churches should hold these primary beliefs as essential truths. But beyond these fundamentals, there are specific teachings that set one, ch- uh, one church apart from others. And Baptists are distinguished from other groups by specific biblical distinctives. Now, we use an acrostic. And we're going to be, as we go through, this is going to be an acrostic. An acrostic is um, uh, a simple tool. It's not a rule, but to, uh, it's help, it helps us to remember the distinctives. So we, we look at B-A-P-T-I-S. T-S, which is the first one we looked at uh, last time was the Bible. We believe that the Bible is the sole authority for faith and practice. Then we looked at the autonomy or independence of the local church. So um, we looked at the Bible that is, uh, the Bible is inerrant. Um, we believe this is infallible and it's, in, it's God inspired. Um, we believe it's to be God's word given to man to reveal himself and to instruct mankind in the way of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, then we looked at uh, the inspiration. The, the, uh, we believe in a verbal plenary inspiration. That means the very words and all of them are inspired by, um, um, by God. And they are profitable. It means they're helpful, serviceable, advantageous. Advantageous, advantageous, right? And they accumulate benefit. Um, 
for doctrine, there is teaching, for instruction, uh, for reproof, there is uh, uh, proof of con uh, convi uh, conviction, can convict men of wrong in your life. Mm -hmm. If you read the Bible, you'll soon find out <laughs> what things are right and what things are wrong. Instruction, there's tutorage and training. Righteousness, right living. Um, the Word of God provides all the necessary details who, which will allow a Christian to become mature and fully equipped for every good work. And then we looked at uh, a lot of different verses um, uh, regarding in regard to the Word of God. Then we looked at the autonomy of the independent or local church. And we looked at a, um, a section of scripture in Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14 where there was a situation where um, after Paul and uh, Barnabas had come back from their um, uh, first missionary journey, where Paul had suffered quite a bit and then um, had been stoned in all kinds of things, you know, quite a, an adventure they had. And um, they were able to uh, preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and um, which was great, and Gentiles were getting saved. But when they got back to the church to report back, there were some men who came from Judah, Judea. Now, the Bible doesn't actually say that they came from Jerusalem, so they came from Judea. And it's possible they could have come from Jerusalem, but they came there, and they were saying that um, no salvation without <coughs> circumcision and without unless you keep the law, which was, which was not right. So Paul and Barnabas and some other men decided that they would go up to Jerusalem to speak to the, the men at Jerusalem. And then they, um, they were received by the church in Jerusalem, and then they, they, they discussed this matter. And um, after they discussed the matter, then um, James stood up and then he asked, he made a recommendation. He didn't say you must do this, but he made a recommendation that um, the church in, uh, in Antioch, if they would just um, uh, abstain from fornication and, and eating meats and uh, abstain from blood, uh, eating certain foods. And the reason for that was because of the Jews. And, and, and it's, it, it's not only here that this is, these things are mentioned. If you read in Romans chapter 14, that um, if, like, if I, 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 I'll eat pork chop, and, but if there's somebody in the church and who doesn't want to eat pork and won't because they, they feel in their conscience that it's not right, I wouldn't invite them to my house and, and have a pork chop. You know, because I would just be, it would be wrong. Uh, I, I would, I would eat a pork chop myself, but I wouldn't do it in front of with them because they feel it's bad. So I would rather have a lamb chop or something maybe, or whatever um, it's, they're happy with. So if I'm happy with it, that's fine. But I can't, I must be careful not to offend someone who has, uh, has a certain conviction. Um, okay, so they made this recommendation the church and the church in Antioch agreed with the church uh, at Jerusalem. The findings were not imposed upon them, but they accepted them as right and proper counsel. They had um, the autonomous privilege to decide for their own local assembly. So what it teaches is that the church at Antioch was not the church at Jerusalem. <coughs> it was a separate 
local church had its own pastors and it had their own uh, deacons and teachers and, and, and all, you know, whatever else they had, prophets as well, <laughs> in those days. Right, okay, so the next part we're going to be looking at, and I hope we're going to get through some of this, we'll try and get through a fair amount, but um, we're going to be looking at P, so we've been through the Bible and the autonomy of the local church, now we're going to be looking at the priesthood of all believers. Now this is the belief that all born-again believers have the privilege of direct access to God. It's not necessary to go through any other human channel. The Old Testament priests stood before between God and men and man and represented man to God. And they offered sacrifices and performed all ceremonial acts of worship. They were keepers of the tabernacle and later of the temple. They would burn incense and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifices upon the altar. But now, because of the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which makes access to God possible, we can go directly to God as a result of our right standing before Him. In Matthew 27, verse 50 and 51, the veil is rent. And Jesus, when He had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. So you see here, when Jesus died on the cross, between the, um, the holy place and the holy of holies in the temple, there was a veil. And that veil was, was pretty big. Um, I've read all kinds of stories, and uh, I, but we don't know. 100%, but they said this veil was very, very big and very heavy too. They said it took about 300 men to lift it. Mm, I don't know. Um, it's, nobody really knows. Um, some people have, have said that it was the, the width of a man's hand. Was it that, was it that thick? Or was it that thick? Some people say it was that thick. But it would have been quite a... Um, I mean, to, to clean it, I mean, it would have been because they, they said they used to have to wash it and, and clean it. But they also said that um, they used to have uh, uh, some women continually making new ones. And it was made in sections and patches, and they were continually making new ones. So when the old one kind of got worn up, then there would be a they put a new one up, and they got grubbing it, whatever. But it seems um, if it was the thickness of a man's hand, how would you move it? How would the, the priest get in there? <laughs> How would he get into the, the place? So it's quite possible it could have been heated or something. We don't know. We don't know. But um, we know that uh, that thing was very heavy and very big. And it was torn from top to bottom, which was a miraculous event. We couldn't do that. I mean, it was just it was an incredible event. So anyway, let's have a look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. Uh, and it says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, as both Jews and Gentiles, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he may reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were far off, and them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. 
but we have access now because of that, the, the, the tearing of that um, veil. We have access to God. In the Old Testament, the priest would only the priest would go in there. The high priest would go in there once a year to offer um, sins for himself and for the people, and, and, and that was it. And nobody else could go in there. Remember correctly, um, Aaron's sons tried to do to burn some strange incense, and, were, and they were both killed because of their, of their sin. So it was um, it was a, a, a thing that only the, the high priest could do. Not anybody could go in. But now, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are able to have access to God. So in one Peter two nine, the Bible says that we are um, a royal priesthood. It says here, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Well, that peculiar people doesn't mean that we're weirdos. Well, not you, we could be, but it's probably because um, uh, that word peculiar means that people of his own, his own people. We are his people. Um, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Revelation 1.6 it says, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So we are kings and priests. I'm happy. <laughs> um, in Hebrews, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Seeing then, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, it says, Seeing then, that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which, was, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Hebrews 10, 19, it says, Enter through the blood. Um, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness, holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to set, say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God. In 1 Peter 2.5, we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. We are priests. That's what it says, we have a, we have a priesthood. Ye also, it says here, as living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. What are these spiritual sacrifices? Well, they are giving of thanks, um, doing good, and to communicate and sharing. <coughs> so it's giving thanks. God likes and loves our, uh, our thanksgiving. And our praise. That's what he's, he makes him, him happy. <laughs> so. Okay, and uh, 1 Timothy 2 1, intercession for all. I exhort, uh, exhort you, there, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. So we are um, to make intercession for. Um, and giving of thanks for all men, for kings, and that's uh, the leaders, 
and those that are in authority, we to pray for them and um, make intercession for them. That's, that's quite something. So even if we're not too happy with our government, we still should be praying for them. That's what God wants us to do. So that's it, the priesthood. Uh, so we're going to BAP T, uh, BAP, now we're going to T, which is two offices. This is short, so we can we'll be finishing in a minute. Mm -hmm. So there are two offices. There are mm -hmm. two offices pastors and deacons in the church. Baptist holds that there are two offices pastors and deacons, besides these, there are no others. The term pastor signifies a shepherd and well indicates the relation he sustains to the church, that of leading, feeding, guiding and guarding the flock, committed to his care. Bishops and elders were identical. The term deacon in the New Testament means a minister or a servant, one who ministers to or serves others. So let's have a look at the qualifications of a pastor. Let's have a look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy, chapter 3. I'll get there eventually. Okay. 1 Tim Timothy, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And it says here, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work, or a pastor. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man knoweth not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest he be lifted up with pride, he fall in, and fall in, into the uh, condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. You see, there's the um, qualifications of a... Of a of a pastor, and also we, it's, uh, we look in Titus as well. In Titus chapter one, verse five.